You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Luke chapter 14, and uh, we'll be reading uh, the same passage that we read this morning. So let's stand together as we uh, get into it this evening. Luke chapter 14, and we'll read from verses 25 down through 33. And uh, just, just to get, a, get us involved and engaged a little bit tonight, I want to I do some responsive reading. And uh, I'll read verse 25, and you'll read 26, I'll read 27, and so on. So from uh, verse 25, it says, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. And this morning we, we, we use this passage uh, to talk about what it is and how to know that you're a disciple. And tonight I, I basically want to continue in those thoughts on discipleship. And uh, we'll, so we'll kind of use this morning as a springboard uh, to, to talk about this from a little bit of a different angle. But I hope it would be a help to us tonight as we look again at discipleship. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've done for us. And uh, I just consider the cross this evening and, and consider the sacrifice that you made for us. And uh, it is the absolute least that I could do to, be, to follow you when I consider what you've done for me. And I pray tonight that you would help us each to take seriously the call to discipleship. And then not only the call to discipleship, but also the call for a disciple to bear fruit. And I pray tonight that you would help us to be convicted about where we are in the process and, and help Eastside Baptist Church to be a church full of not consumers but disciples. And I pray that you'd bless our time in your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As I said this morning, uh, just, just, to, uh, just to get a few things here out of the way, uh, we're again. We're excited to be here, and and uh, the the combination of excitement and fear is is really prevalent in my own life. And I, I think there have been moments where I'm just thinking, what you know, what am I doing? Because it 
it is a daunting weight as a pastor. And, and not many, you haven't, if you haven't been a pastor, you probably haven't felt it. And I know that I haven't felt it as much as I'm sure that I will. Um, but when I heard what Pastor Spencer said last week about um, me as the pastor of this flock, the shepherd, um, being responsible to watch for your souls, and that I'll answer to God for how I pastor this church, it really was a sobering moment for me. And I'm thankful that he said that. It meant a lot to me to hear him say that. And uh, it just kind of helps, helps me to keep things in perspective. Um, but I am also very excited because I feel like God uh, is about to do something special at Eastside. He's been preparing us for a moment uh, in time, and I'm thankful to be a part of that for sure. Um, Brother Spencer has laid a strong groundwork. And uh, that, the foundation that Christ has laid through Brother Spencer here, I just look at the building, I look at the community, I look at how things are expanding this direction, and, and I think there's no reason why we can't fill this place up. And, uh, you know, even here in Luke 14, uh, it just, you know, comes to me as I'm thinking about this, um, that, that the master told the servant, look at verse 23, and the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled so even here, this picture of Christ wanting people to come into uh, the church, it's not that we want to fill this house so that we can count a big number. It's because the more people sitting in these pews, the more glory God gets because people are being saved and people are growing into being like Jesus Christ. I'd love to fill this place up. And, uh, and I think we could if we'll have the right perspective on what it takes and that is that each of us will decide, I'm going to be the more, most committed disciple that God will allow me to be. Because we're not going to build, I mean, we could make adjustments and we could probably fill it up by making some compromises because a lot of churches do that. Um, and they change things and they adjust things. Um, but I, I truly believe that God is ready to do a work here if we would just each, every one of us in this room, decide, I'm going to be a disciple. It's the most important label that you'll ever carry. It's the most important thing you can do. And many in Luke 14, as we, as we come to this passage, there's a great multitude. And they're following the Lord, but they're following Him flippantly. There's a multitude, but they're not really disciples. They're kind of just in it to see what happens next. They're, they're just part of the crowd. There's a great multitude, and they don't really truly understand the cost that, of that discipleship requires and so Christ turns to them, and he basically says, I, I hope you understand what it takes to be a disciple. And he gives them these three qualifications, or these three tests, and he says, if you're going to follow me, uh, that you first have to love me more than you love any other relationship. And second, you have to love me more than you love yourself. And third, you have to, have to love me uh, even it re if it requires you dying to yourself. Now, when he was telling them this, he was literally saying the cross in that the cost of discipleship for these folks was probably very likely for many going to be death. For us, it's death to ourself every day. And if we don't have a love for Christ more than others or more than ourself or more than death itself, then we aren't true disciples. And it's time for us to look in the mirror and say, do I qualify as a disciple? Is my love for Christ greater than these, all, of the, all of these other things in my life? Is He first? Is, is, is He at the center of my, 
the, my wagon wheel. We used that illustration this morning. A disciple is a learner or a pupil. And the average Christian, I believe, follows Christ, but only as far as it doesn't truly interfere with their lives. And I, I don't mean to bla- make a blanket statement tonight, but I am just thinking that probably the average Christian in America is a follower of Christ only to the point that it doesn't really interfere with their lives. And if we were to go to the average church and look at the average person sitting in the pew, I think we probably wouldn't take much to convince us of that. Listen, Eastside Baptist Church, uh, we're, not, we're not looking to be that kind of follower. We're looking to be followers that are committed enough to Christ that even if it inconveniences us, even if it means that we have to separate ourselves from certain relationships, or even if it means that we have to die to ourselves every day, even if it means that we have to give up on the things that we count important so that we can follow Christ, we in this room should be willing to do that. We should be characterized as a church that's not marked by, by what's popular or what's trendy, that's not marked by the things that everyone just likes to come and enjoy and be entertained, but, but that we're not consumers, but that we're followers as far as disciples go, that we are followers of Christ in a way that is distinct from all other followers. And we're willing to lay, lay aside the things that we hold dear if that's what it takes. That's what a disciple does. Christ should be first. And if Christ isn't first, according to Luke 14, we're not disciples. And that's a shame. Because it is God's goal, it is God's plan, God's great purpose for your life. Listen, God's great purpose for your life is to be a disciple. You say, well, come on, how do you know that's the most important thing, that I become a disciple? How how do you even know that? Well, the word disciple occurs in the New Testament 269 times. So in case you were wondering if it's a priority, I think that, that helps us to understand it's important to God. The word Christian appears in the New Testament three times. So we use the word Christian, but I think we probably ought to be, we ought to consider using the word disciple more than any other word to distinguish ourselves. The Bible in the New Testament, as far as I know, it uses the word believer twice. So Christian three times, believer twice, disciple 269 times. It's a Bible thought. It's a Bible concept to be a disciple. Many times over, Christ himself talked about the characteristics of disciples, what it takes to be a disciple, what disqualifies you from being a disciple. Jesus defined his followers with the term disciple. And he wants nothing more from you than you to become a disciple. So let's look at the example of what might be the greatest Christian outside of Christ who ever lived. And to me, that that seems to be the Apostle Paul. And I think about what Paul wrote about what's the most important thing. We look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, and he said, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. That sounds like discipleship, doesn't it? Because Christ said, forsaking all. And here's Paul saying, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And I think it's interesting that Paul said, 
uh, I count all things for the ex- for, about loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Well, what's a disciple again? A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a pupil. A disciple of Christ specializes in knowledge of Christ. And here's Paul defining himself, saying, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. And in doing so, I have lost everything I have, but I count it a privilege that I may win Christ. And you talk about someone who epitomizes a disciple. We must put Christ first in our lives. We must love Him more than our relationships. We must love Him more than our own lives. We we must forsake all that we have or we can't be His disciple. And that's exactly what Paul did with his life. He was a disciple and he said the most important thing he could do was lose everything to gain Christ. That's what a disciple is. It's God's purpose for your life to be a disciple. And I could harp on it more, but I think I've said it enough. Being a disciple of Christ is a serious commitment. It should cost us something. It should cost us something. And I think because most of us aren't required to take tough stands for our faith on a regular basis, we've developed this mindset that following Christ, especially in America, that Christianity in America, it might be inconvenient at times, but it doesn't truly cost a lot. And it's true in our country, in our culture, for most of us. Now, I know for some of you that may be different, and you may come from a family that when you received Christ and you got saved, that your family put a wall between you and them. And I've known of Christians that get saved and their family in some ways disowns them. You've probably met people like that. And maybe that's how that happened to you. And for those, I definitely say that, that, that their faith cost them something. But I consider my faith in America in 2019 compared to the apostles and early church leaders. And I think about how they died. And much of this is based on, on, you know, just on, on not just on legend, but maybe just on history and how things have been counted down and, or passed down, I should say. But maybe church tradition tells us some of these things, but there's evidence for others But I think about even just the apostles, about Matthew, neat Levi. The Bible says that he's, or not the Bible, but history, tradition says he suffered martyrdom in Ethiopia, that he was killed by a sword. Mark, writer of the second book, they say died in Alexandria, Egypt after being dragged by horses through the streets. Luke, writer of the third book, book, the Gospel of Luke, was hanged in Greece. John faced martyrdom when he was boiled in a huge basin of oil. He miraculously didn't die, Uh, but he was sent on. He went on maybe then to write the book of Revelation. Well, not maybe. He wrote the book of Revelation, but perhaps maybe he was the one apostle that, that wasn't a martyr, according to church tradition. Peter was crucified upside down on an X shaped cross. And according to church tradition, he told his tormentors that he felt unworthy to die in the same way that his Lord Jesus Christ had died. So he asked to be hung upside down. James, the just, the leader of the church of Jerusalem, was thrown over a hundred feet down from the southeast pinnacle of the temple when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. 
When they, when they discovered that he survived the fall, his enemies beat James to death with a club. James the Greater, with the brother of John, according to Acts 12, a son of Zebedee, as a strong leader of the church, he was ultimately beheaded in Jerusalem. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, was a missionary to Asia, and he was martyred before his preaching in Armenia when he was flayed to death by a whip. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross in Greece. His followers reported that when he was led to the cross, Andrew saluted it with these words, I have long desired and expected this happy hour. The cross has been consecrated by the body of Christ hanging on it. And he continued to preach to his tormentors for two days until he died. Thomas was stabbed with a spear in India during one of his missionary trips. Jude, the brother of Jesus, was killed with arrows when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. Matthias, the apostle chosen to replace Judas Iscariot, was stoned and beheaded. Barnabas was stoned to death at Thessalonica. The apostle Paul was tortured and then beheaded by Emperor Nero at Rome in AD 67. And we could go on and on if you've ever read the book, Fox's Book of Martyrs. If you've ever seen that book, you start to realize what, what the true cost of discipleship has truly been for Christ's followers through the years. My discipleship costs. Jason, surnamed Jet, had to wake up, especially early on a Sunday morning, to get ready for church. And when you start to think about the costs that we're paying for discipleship and the costs that in history, those traditionally that have followed Christ have had to pay with their lives, it makes you feel about that small. When you consider the costs we're forced to pay compared to the brothers and sisters that have gone before us through history, and even today I think about those in other parts of the world We're shielded here in America, but persecution's taking place uh, on every other continent. Taking place where those that follow Christ are, you know, tonight if they're meeting in a place like uh, like this, uh, they wouldn't dare to meet in a place like this because if they were found out, they'd probably be arrested. So they're meeting underground, they're meeting in homes, and they're not singing hymns and playing instruments and and boldly uh, out on the streets Uh, preaching the gospel because if they were, they probably put their lives at risk. Places like China and the Middle East, places in Africa and Russia and other places. You can't be a bold Christian like we are in America. And listen, the cost of discipleship is something we probably really don't understand. But according to, to tradition and history, then we know that it's... We're, we're about the only culture the last couple of hundred years that has been able to enjoy what we've been able to enjoy. And I think what it's done is created consumers instead of disciples. Because in the end, the cost has not been very great for us. And I was reading through that list of deaths, and a couple of things stood out to me. Ethiopia, Egypt, Greece, Armenia, India... Rome. You notice one thing about all these disciples. When they were following Jesus, they were in Israel. They were in Jerusalem. They were in Galilee. They were in Nazareth. They were in places around the 
the Dead Sea. They were in that one regional location. But when they died, they weren't still in Israel. They were forced to leave where they were because of persecution. And they were forced to go into other places. And with them, they took the gospel. But they, they weren't hiding when they went. They took the gospel where they went. They were actively following Christ in other places. And it stood out to me, as did another thought. If all these great early Christians died, how is it that there are still people following Christ today? You think about it. All of these early leaders that Jesus Christ himself trained to be a disciple, and he took Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and, and Matthias and Thomas and, and Nathaniel and all these others, and he trained them to be disciples. And you would think, if our logic holds true, that if, if they were the ones that were taught, and yet they were the ones that were killed, the faith should have died with them. Well, the only logical conclusion is that they told somebody else about it. Their faith didn't stop with them because they were bold enough about their faith that they didn't just keep it to themselves. See, I believe that when you actually experience the cost of discipleship, you're more passionate to share it with other people. And maybe here in America, because it hasn't really cost us, it doesn't truly cost us. Now, I know it costs us. I know we could all be doing something else on a Sunday. We all have, there are many, many men in here that, that could be earning money on a day like this, but they're in God's house, and praise the Lord for that. And I think about those who, have, who wrote a check this morning to give to the church, and they give 10% of their income, and they give above that to missions, and maybe even above that to a building program. And I say praise the Lord, because when I start thinking, looking at our finances, I'm thinking if I was just to step back, I'm thinking there's a lot of bills that could be paid with the check that I give to the church every week. So there is a cost. But listen, my life has never been threatened for being a Christian. I mean, I've had people threaten to beat me up when I invite them to church or knock on their door and they weren't happy with me. But listen, a slammed door in my face is not the same as someone threatening to take my life unless I deny the faith in Christ. Listen, discipleship has not cost us very much, and I'm not trying to diminish your faith. I'm not trying to diminish what you've done for Christ. I'm not trying to diminish anything that you've experienced, but I think that our, our lives perhaps are far too easy for being disciples. When I consider how little change it requires of most people in America, to become a Christian. Well, the only thing that I can think is that those that it truly cost them something, they were bold about passing it along because they believe much more strongly in it maybe than we do. They weren't the ones that had their faith just keeping it to themselves. They were telling others about it. They were passing it along because if they hadn't done that, and you think about that first generation of apostles and disciples after Christ, if they hadn't shared their faith, guess what? The gospel would have died with them. Yet here we are 2,000 years later in a church building like this because someone told someone way back when, and we get to enjoy it today, our faith because someone told someone. It's obvious based on the fact that we hold this book in our hands and 
that billions even still claim the name of Christ to some degree, that the early disciples took very seriously this Christ's last words to them in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Look over there, and I know you know this, but I just want to mention it tonight. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. What do we traditionally call these verses? The Great Commission. Matthew 28, and we'll begin in 28, 18. It says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Notice the significant part of those verses. What's the hinge word between 19 and 20? He says, go ye, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And then he says what in verse 20? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. It says teaching twice here in the Great Commission. See, the part of the Great Commission that I think maybe gets the most emphasis in these verses is teaching. The word teach, all nations, is found from the Greek word methetes, and the word, that Greek word is also found, we just read it in Luke 14. The Greek root of that word is the, Greek, the word disciple. So teach, teaching them. If you go and you look at the Greek word for disciple there in Luke 14, methetes, it's the same root word. And a disciple is what? A pupil, a learner. A disciple holds on to the teachings of Jesus Christ. That's what discipleship is. So what Christ is saying right here is over in Luke 14, before his death, he was saying, if you want to be my disciple, you have to love me. You have to love me more than others. You have to love me more than yourself. You have to love me more than your own life. If you want to be a disciple, if you want to be a learner, if you want to be taught. And now after his death, The last words he says, before his ascension into heaven, he says, now you go therefore and disciple all nations. You go for and disciple them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So not only did he tell his followers, you be a disciple, it's the most important thing that you could ever do, but he also told them the very last thing he said was don't just be a disciple, now it's time to go make disciples. You take what you've learned and you take it to the world and you teach them to be just like you've been. Disciples, learners, people who put Christ in the center of the wagon wheel. Everything else, yeah, there are spokes in all directions, but right there in the middle, Jesus Christ. That's what a disciple is and it's time to go make disciples. They weren't just preaching the gospel and moving on. Their job wasn't to go into a city and, and throw flyers out of the, out the windows and then drive on. No, they stopped and they taught and they grounded them and they showed them what Christ is like and they showed them what it is to learn about Christ. What they did was make disciples. 
They grounded people in the Bible. They took God's word and they poured it into other people. If they hadn't been making disciples, you realize you and I may have never heard the gospel. It could have very easily died with them if they hadn't taken Christ's command to to make disciples seriously. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 is God's plan to spread the gospel. And as important as it is that you and I are disciples, it is equally as important that we take what we have learned about Jesus Christ and we step outside the doors of Eastside Baptist Church and we go to the next door neighbor and we take it to the store and to the grocery store and to our workplace and we're not content to just be disciples but we take God's command to the last words he ever said very seriously, seriously enough that we step outside of ourselves and we teach someone else how to be a disciple too. We're not just in this Church, we're not just in this to be disciples. We are in this to make disciples. It's important that we are disciples because if you're not a disciple, you can't help someone else become a disciple. So you have to be a disciple first. But maybe the most important step in the gospel continuing is that disciples make disciples. We're to go and bear, forth, bear fruit. John 15, heaven, um, herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my what? Disciples. Fruit that remains. And yes, we can bear the fruit of the Spirit. And yes, we can show Christ in our lives. But if we're to have fruit that remains, you talk about a soul around the throne of God for eternity, that's fruit that remains. Making disciples. If you're a disciple, I'm asking this question tonight. What evidence does your life have to show? And you may have passed the test this morning and said, yes, I love Christ more than I love anyone else. And yes, I love Christ more than I love myself. And yes, I submit to Him and I give myself to Him. And yes, I die to myself. So therefore, those three tests this morning, I am a disciple. And that's wonderful. But I also think there's another test to ask ourselves, and that is, if you're a disciple, what fruit in your life shows it? What evidence is there in your life that you have fruit that remains? And I, I remember uh, watching that video last week, and, and I remember uh, asking the question, uh, maybe who, all those who have been saved under Brother Spencer, or maybe even directly by Brother Spencer, Remain standing or stand up. And see, and Phil Spencer could look around the room and he could look at faces and he could say, fruit that remains, fruit that remains, fruit that remains, fruit that remains all across the room. Phil Spencer has fruit that remains at Eastside Baptist Church. And I'd love for someday to be able to look around this room and say, fruit that remains, and not for my glory, but because I want to fill God's house for God's glory. I want fruit that remains because because I followed Christ's command to go make a disciple. I'd love to be one that has fruit that remains. But ask yourself the question. And I don't want to put anybody on the spot, so I'm not going to. But if I was to insert your name there and say, look around the room. Blank, your name, right here. Is there any fruit that remains? Because you as a disciple said, I'm going to go make disciples. 
I'm going to reach my neighbor. I'm going to reach my coworker. I'm going to reach my family. I'm going to reach my best friends. I'm going to reach the random stranger at the store. Look around. Is there fruit that remains? You have somebody that when you get to heaven, you can go grab them by the hand and say, let's walk to Jesus and let's go cast our crowns at his feet. And that person is there because of you. Listen, you can say you love Christ all you want. And you can say you love Christ more than everybody else. And you can say you love Christ more than your own life. And you can say that you love Christ more than even your own, if it even meant that you had to die for faith. But if you don't have fruit that remains, as a disciple, that test, if you don't have fruit that remains, friend, I'm not sure you're a disciple. And I'm not sure that I'm a disciple. If I haven't gone, like Jesus Christ said in Matthew 28, teaching all nations, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever he commanded us, that's the final command to a disciple is to go make disciples. Teach, disciple. And we can say we have love for Christ all we want, but if we don't have fruit, based on the Great Commission, the last words he ever said to his people, I'm not sure that we can claim discipleship. And I'm not saying that to beat anybody over the head. I'm trying to lay the groundwork to let you see that Eastside Baptist Church, we can be disciples, but we can't be disciples if we don't make disciples. There's 187,200 on the Sioux Falls sign. It's a lot of people. You know, by my count, there may be one other church a lot like this one in Sioux Falls. And that's Falls International Baptist Church. And that's a blessing, isn't it? But, but let's add up the attendance tonight at those two places. We may have a couple hundred here. They may have 30 or 40 there. And I'm not real great at math, long division in my head. But I do know this, a very low percentage of the citizens of Sioux Falls are in a gospel-preaching, Bible-believing, fundamental, independent Baptist church tonight. And that means there's 186-something thousand people out there. It's our job to go reach them. It's our job to be a disciple and go make disciples. Do you have fruit that remains? Would you have, if you're standing in front of Jesus Christ someday, and I don't think it's going to work this way, but maybe it will. And he says, Jason Jett, step forward, please. And I step forward with fear and trembling. Probably on my face. And he says, Jason Jett, is there anyone here that, you, that is here because of you? If they are at this time, go get them and bring them to me. And the last thing in the world I want to do is look around and crickets. Silence. Because it means that I failed in my most important job. Being a disciple and that is making disciples. It's important that we are disciples. But it's equally important that once we are disciples that we go make some.
Who's going to reach your neighbor? Who's going to reach the person in the cubicle next to you at work? Who's going to reach your coworker? Who's going to reach the person in the drive-thru tonight after church? Who's going to reach your family member? Who's going to reach the clerk there at the gas station when you go fill up? Who's going to reach that greeter at Walmart? They're friendly. Approach them. They smiled. I think they're required to. Who's going to reach them? If you're a disciple and you haven't made disciples, then you're not a disciple. And again, I'm not trying to be harsh about it because I'm looking at myself in the mirror tonight. And I'm thinking there have been a lot of wasted opportunities. And I could have a lot more fruit that remains if I'd have been more serious about the final command to disciples. And that is to go make some more. Eastside Baptist Church, where is your fruit that remains? Let's all stand together, every head bowed, every eye closed, and we're going to have an invitation at this time. And I don't know how God has spoken to you. I can tell you for myself, this has been an extremely convicting study in preparation because there's a lot of fruit still left hanging on the tree out there. And it's waiting for somebody with a heart to be a disciple to come and make more. I don't know how God's spoken to you. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.